Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, John Kelly. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC 274, Charles Dubronx Oliveira taking on Justin the Highlight Gaethje. And, John, it's going down this Saturday night live in Arizona, Justin Gaethje's home state, trying to get, you know, trying to make the second time the charm, not the third time, the second time the charm to uh, achieve uh, undisputed UFC gold but he's got a guy in front of or in front of him and charles dubrox Oliveira, who's the reigning defending undisputed ufc lightweight champion the man with the most finishes in ufc history the man with the most bonuses in ufc uh history the man with most submissions in ufc history taking on a guy in gaethje who's had nine fights inside the octagon and 10 bonuses this is going to be chaos john kelly yeah, man. First off, thank you for having me on. You know, we've been internet buddies for a while, but this is the first time we've actually got on a show together. So appreciate you having me on. But yeah, I'm just as excited as you are. Um, I think it's going to be absolute fireworks in the main event and really up and down the card. A lot of good fights to talk about. Oh, uh, no questions asked. And the pleasure's all mine, my friend. So uh, let's get down to business. Let's just talk about this main event to start things off. I mean, you got the champ, Charles Dubronx, 32 and 8. 40 pro fights and that's all we know about john kelly because you know oftentimes with the brazilian fighters a lot of untracked fights on the record i bet this dude has got upwards of uh 50 to 60 fights that we, you know a bunch of fights we don't know about taking on a guy in justin gaethje we know what to expect from justin gaethje he's gonna come out here and he's gonna either gonna go uh you know on his shield or he's gonna or he's gonna put someone out and for that reason alone this is one of those fights you you match these guys up 10 times it's gonna be a different outcome outcome all 10 times now the odds don't currently reflect that because charles dubronx is minus 170 the comeback on justin gaethje is plus 150 when i think of a different outcome 10 times i think of a pick at the same time i understand why the line is where it's at for charles dubronx being favored but with that also being said john kelly i understand why anybody on planet earth would be tempted to take plus 150 odds on justin gaethje against anybody uh in uh the ufc lightweight division and i say that habib's not on the roster anymore guys so i stand by what i said plus 150 odds on you against anyone on on the roster in the lightweight division it's got to be tempting yeah, not only is it tempting, I pulled the trigger on Justin Gaethje at plus 152 on FanDuel. So I am backing the underdog here. And I've it, it could be the fanboy in me, but I just think Gaethje has a real good chance to hurt, to try, at least hurt him on the feet early. You know, Oliveira, nobody's discrediting his submission skills. You mentioned it, most submissions in, uh, in UFC history, right? So he's obviously super dangerous, probably only needs one takedown to be able to cut through Gaethje on the mat. Um, I, I just don't know if the takedowns are going to come as easily as they did against Habib or, or for Habib Nurmagomedov. Uh, but if Charles does get him down, I do think he could probably find a sub. But I just lean on the Gaethje side. Just Oliveira was dropped by Chandler, almost finishing that fight. And yes, he recovered, was dropped by Dustin Poirier early as well. Like the guy just keeps getting hurt. You know, he's been knocked out before as well. Like if you're going to give me plus 150 odds on Justin Gaethje going up against a guy who can be heard on the feet. And we know Gaethje's willing to die in there. Like, I'm just going to take the shot on him. Not a big bet for me, just a, a standard one-unit play. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm back in Justin Gaethje here. At, and I played the under as well at minus 152. I, the under two and a half, I just don't think uh, – I, I just think the way these guys match up, like both of their strengths play into each other's weaknesses. Like, if Charles takes him down, like I mentioned, he probably finds a sub – 
not not super easy, but you know, I, I think he does find a sub. And then on the flip side, if Gaethje's able to hurt him early, like he can probably finish him and get him out of there. So I played the under two and a half at minus 152 as well. And then I took the dog shot on Justin Gaethje on the money line. Damn, my boy John Kelly already giving out them bets. I mean, this is one of those where I just see so many different outcomes occurring. You know, if these were to match, if these two were to match up on a, on a bunch of different occasions. I mean, I see, you know, Justin Gaethje knocking out Oliveira, dropping Oliveira, hurting him. I mean, to your point, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, both were able to land knockdowns on him. And let's not even bring up all the fights from the past. But we also can't ignore that Justin Gaethje has been hurt his his fair share in his fights, too. Whether we talk about the Tony Ferguson fight, the one moment Ferguson had at the end of the second round, whether we go back to his UFC debut uh, against Michael Johnson, he was stumbling all over the place. Whether we go back to the World Series of Fighting Days now, he's he, granted, he's adjusted his style tremendously since those days, man, because back Back then, I really think it was kill or be killed with him, and it was more about being an entertainer than it was about being a world champion, even though he was the World Series of Fighting World Champion. But what I'm trying to say here is that I felt like Justin Gaethje turned a corner in that Tony Ferguson fight. He's starting to pick his shots better. He's not... look. He's always going to fight with his balls and with his ego, but he toned it down a little bit. But when I say he toned it down a little bit, he didn't tone down the violence a little bit. It was just the tactics and the approach is what I like. So to me, it's like I can see either guy knocking out either guy. But what I can't see is I can't see Justin Gaethje coming out here and submitting Charles Oliveira. Like that's that let's that's right that outcome off. I, that's something that's not going to happen in my mind. But on the feet Charles Dubronx, offensively speaking, I think he's the perfect fighter. I mean, what do you not like offensively speaking? The hands are on point. The kicks, the knees. Uh, he uses his length really, really well. And it used to be a case where, you know, you pulled guard and sweeps and stuff like that. But the way he's taking the back from standing, not just from taking someone down and transitioning to the back, he'll pin you up against the fence and take your back right there. He'll backpack you. And now you're seeing blast double legs from Charles Oliveira. You're seeing body lock takedown. He went in there against Tony Ferguson, and he did exactly what Chimaev did to Li Jingliang. Uh, had a, a body lock, walked him to the other side of the cage, and dropped him on his head. So, I mean, I love the evolution of Oliveira. But here's the thing about Charles that I got to say. Since he made his UFC debut against Darren Elkins, we always knew we had a phenom in front of us. I mean, it was pretty goddamn evident. I mean, you saw that triangle to armbar uh, tr uh, submission that he had on Elkins. And then when he beat Escudero in his second fight, like now, oh, oh, oh Escudero, big whoop. Dude, at the time, Escudero was their Mexican poster boy. At the time, they had Bud Light stamped all over him. At the time, he was doing those tours in Mexico. He just couldn't hold up his end of the bargain. But... That was a big win against the former Ultimate Fighter winner. And the reason I bring this up is because that's when we took note that this kid is a phenom. It was just a thing where the mental had to catch up with the physical. And that's something we're going to talk about with Rose Namajunas as well. Because it used to be a case where... Charles Dubronx could run you through the series. And what I mean by the series is go watch that fight with Paul Felder. I mean, Darce to Anaconda to Guillotine to Backtake to this to that. And he survived. And Charles was like, fuck, I, I guess tonight's not my night. Uh, and, you know, he got pounded out. But I'm seeing the mental catch up. And my examples for that, my proof is, look at that David Tamor fight. I mean, the way he got dropped in that fight and just got up like it was nothing was like, 
Is that all you got, young man? Those are things that we wouldn't have seen from Charles Oliveira in the past. His two title fights against Michael Chandler. And back in the day, I mean, do you remember the Cub Swanson fight, that delayed reaction knockout? Do you remember the Max Holloway fight when people were accusing Charles Oliveira of faking an injury and then two days later it came out and he was completely fine? I, I can confidently say that those days are behind us man because the title fights did get dropped by Chandler who's one of the hardest hitters at lightweight did get dropped by Poirier who's got the most knockouts at lightweight and gets back up and when it's his turn to impose his will look the fuck out so it's pretty amazing to see the complete package but that being said i mentioned the offensive stuff it's defensively where i'm concerned john kelly because i mean we're dealing with a guy who not not the most head movement, stands straight up in the air. And as a result of being a long fighter, not only is he there to be hit upstairs, what about downstairs against the best kicker in UFC lightweight history? And don't even try me on no Edson Barboza, who I got all the admiration for, but Edson Barboza, Justin Gaethje fought. Guess who got off on three calf kicks in the first 10 seconds of that fight to kind of cement that, hey, I'm the best kicker in the division. So I'm just curious about the the approach here. The reason I can't take a confident stance is because I see a different outcome every single time these guys fight. I see Justin Gaethje ch- uh, chopping him down with those leg kicks and maybe compromising him to the point where Oliveira can't go for those entries. You know, they're coming from a mile out. He starts to pull guard, and Justin Gaethje signals him to get back up, and from there he can take more damage. But I also see Charles Oliveira taking his back and choking him out. And let's not forget that Gaethje, you know, he's willing to give it. He can also take it too. But sometimes when he takes it too, he's wobbling all over the place. Uh, Charles Oliveira can knock people out too. So I don't fucking know. And usually when I don't know, I take the dog, but I kind of lean with the favorite here because I think he's got more past the victory. But this is not one that I want to debate with you. Reason being is that, like I said at the beginning, you give me plus 150 odds on Gaethje against anyone in the division, and that's all you got to tell me. Kind of like back when I bet on Dustin Poirier against Max Holloway the second time, and he was plus 185. To me, it's not about... Oh, who do I think is going to win? To me, it's about you give me those odds on Dustin against anybody not named Habib, and I'm in. So I feel where you're coming from, John Kelly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I I think I agree with basically everything that you said there. And I think a lot of that analysis just keeps pointing me to the under there. That's why I like the under so much, because I could see the submission for Oliveira. And I agree, you know, it's it's funny. You mentioned the evolution in his game. It's really the striking that has come come a long way you know back in the day it was just the submission skills you had to worry about and now it's the hands as well he's so dangerous wherever the fight goes and if that defense does fail him and he gets dropped he's able to just sit there and wait because people don't want to go play in his guard so he's able to recover like we saw in the Chandler and Poirier fight so yeah it's definitely a a fun dynamic one that I think is going to be a firefight and I don't think it's going to disappoint us this weekend oh dude how is this going to disappoint us? I mean, neither guy's going to be humping either guy's leg. Neither guy's going to be pinning one up against the fence, and the crowd's going to be booing. Like what? Like I said, Justin Gaethje's had nine UFC fights. He's got ten bonuses. L- let me know the last time someone booed during a Justin Gaethje fight. I think we're absolutely spoiled, not to mention the record-setting uh, – um, performance bonuses that Charles Dubronx has, the rec- all these records he has. Uh, it's just this is one of those fights where you call your friends that don't often watch the sport and you tell them, that, hey, 
this is one you got to come over for. This is one you got to watch. This is one that could get you that could you know they talk about like the ufc bug you never saw it before you watch one of those good events when it's really on point they remember that that london card with aspinall and and arnold allen like if if you brought one of your buddies over who's never seen ufc before and that was the first fight they were exposed to they're automatically hooked the bug hit them this main event is that fight so i mean unless it's like some fluke injury that you know or some bullshit but not knock on wood that's not going to be the case here so yeah i mean i'm passionate about the fight i'm just not passionate about a pick because i could legit see either guy win this fight and that's just the bottom line but i do wish you luck because again plus 150 on a guy like justin gaethje I mean, you're not going to, like, what What am I about to tell you here? Like, oh, don't take odds on a world-class fighter, like, you know, that has the capability to win. I mean, and we talk about, you know, the knockout power. We talk about the calf kicks. You know, this guy's a former D1 wrestler. I mean, so he's coming home here to Arizona, and I know last time in Arizona, things didn't go his way against Poirier, but let's not sit here and act like that wasn't like one of the fights of the year. Let's not sit here and act like Dustin Poirier wasn't badly compromised from those leg kicks. Um, and let's not act like if they ran it back. I mean, I'm not saying that Justin would win. I'm not saying that Dustin would win. I'm just saying it would be a honest knock. It would be a serious fight. Just like this one could go either way each time. Like I just don't see it being a case where they fight, you know, 10 times and Charles wins nine of those times, right? It's just not that. So in that sense, bro, I think that you got good line value and I wish you the best. But as a pure pick, I will side with the champ, but it's I don't have my money down on this fight. You know, as a uh, good luck to you on this one. Much appreciated, man. Absolutely. So before we move on to the co-main event, um, are there any points and things that that we haven't quite touched on on this main event that you think needs to be said that that we're missing here? Um, any bases we haven't covered? I, I think we much pretty much covered it from all angles. You know, I I think it's a pretty straightforward fight. You know, most people are expecting either Oliveira has success with the submission or Gaethje probably hurts him on the feet. It's just a pretty uh, straightforward fight in my eyes. But okay, so now let's dig deep into what you just said. Or Gaethje hurts him on the feet. But just because Gaethje hurts him on the feet doesn't necessarily mean the fight's going to be over after that. Right. That's what's so intriguing. Like, is Oliveira going to be so compromised that it affects his game to the point where now we start seeing him resort to his old tactics to, you know, where he decided, you know, may, maybe I can just live the fight another day. See, because that was always the criticism on him. That was the criticism on Rose Namajunas too. But I feel like, again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I do feel like the mentals caught up with the physical with both those fighters. And it's truly amazing to see because they've always been supremely talented and skilled in every area of the game you just wanted them to believe what we've seen since day one and i think now we are seeing them believing what we've seen since day one it's just a guy as dangerous as gaethje a guy when you hear gaethje talk i mean and he says he's willing to die in there i know for some people that's hyperbole uh, hyperbole and i know certain people throw out terms like that and you, you remember that, that episode of the ultimate fighter a long ass time ago uh this french dude actually said he wanted to show that you know french guys have warrior spirit and then he quit on the stool between rounds like this isn't gonna be one of those cases like these guys are act like justin gaethje literally like 
is willing to die inside that cage. And guys, we don't want no one to die. We're just kind of talking metaphorically speaking of the chaos and the hell that this guy's willing to go through to get his desired outcome. That being said, you lock on a, a deep Mata Leon rear naked choke on him, and I'm not convinced that he's not going to go to sleep. I'm not convinced that he's not going to tap out. So, dude, <laughs> I just have to sit back and enjoy this one as a fan. Um, DraftKings perspective, though, I want exposure to both. No questions asked. Upside, huge upside on both. Come on, let's be real. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The way I, I basically am playing it is like if you play ten lineups, like I'm heavier on the Gaethje side, so I'm probably gonna do like six out of ten. Um, and I'll, I'll play more than ten lineups, but just an example, I'll probably do six Gaethje and then four Oliveira. That's the way I'm gonna split it. Um, uh, just because I, I obviously see the upside for both guys in a victory. Now, narrative wise, um. Justin Gaethje has been calling uh, Charles Oliveira a quitter, which we've seen that, you know, maybe 10 fights ago, and it, it was real. I mean, you can't deny that Paul Felder fight. You can't deny the Cowboy Cerrone fight, the, Char- the uh, Cub Swanson fight, like the Max Holloway fight. It's happened, but it happened long-ass time ago. Can Justin Gaethje bring that back out of him, or is it more of a case if he's going to come out here and beat him? He's going to beat him fair and square and knock him unconscious to where it's not a matter of quitting. That, that's the way I see it playing out is if Gaethje does win, um, for starters, I, I rate Gaethje's finishing ability more so than I do, you know, a Michael Chandler. You know, you saw when Chandler dropped him, you know, he went to follow him down. And that was really what ended up being a, a major mistake. I think Gaethje at least has the wherewithal to to let him up. And then and then go back and go for the kill. Like I don't I don't think Gaethje's gonna just dive in his guard chasing a finish unless like Oliveira's really compromised. So I think Gaethje will probably just have to put him out. I don't think it's gonna be a case where Oliveira quits per se. Agreed. So Dominic says, smash the like button. Everybody do us that huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. We truly appreciate y'all doing that. And my boy, Teron Brown said, Daniel, are you celebrating Cinco de Mayo today? I remember you saying you're part Mexican. Uh, actually, Cinco de Mayo is an American holiday. Um, like, uh, they, they actually don't really celebrate that in Mexico. But, I mean, that's not going to stop me from going out with my friends and having a good time. So, yeah, you know, we'll be having some fun. But, uh you know, we got to make the distinction here. It's 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 an American-made holiday, and hey, I'm not going to complain about an extra day to have some fun. So, yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll be doing it up for sure. So, I think we got this main event out the way, and without further ado, let's get down to the co-main event because next up for the straw weight belt, we got the champ Rose Namajuna. She's 11 and four, taking on Carla Esparza was 18 and six the former champion and you know what's interesting about this before i mention the odds the first ever ufc strawweight title fight was rose namayunas versus carla esparza and if the world ends tomorrow the last ever ufc strawweight title fight is rose namayunas versus carla esparza so it's pretty amazing how it's come full circle and currently they got it rose namayunas minus 220 the comeback on carla is plus 180 now i do agree with rose being favored however do i agree with her being favored to this extent that's where we got to talk about this because listen carla's come a long way man i mean the run she's on currently, John Kelly, I mean, when you go out there and you beat this current form of Alexa Grasso, who's just been running through people, who's been coming out here looking impressive, this current form of Marina Rodriguez, who I think at the very least is going to fight for a title one day, 
be this current form of Yan Zhao Nan, who I've highly regarded for a long time, that's how you earn a title shot. This isn't, oh, she eked a split over Angela Hill and we're just going to hand her a title shot and, act, you know, and just put up another. Because sometimes, from time to time, you run out of contenders, so they just got to get somebody to fill the void. This is not a fill the void type fight. This is the true number one contender, someone who happens to have a win, not just a win, a finish win over the current champ, but it was back in, what, 2014. It's yep. 2022 now. Times have changed. So how do you kind of see this one going now? Because I, I think we can agree on a few things. I think we can agree on the fact that Carlos Barza is going to land takedowns in this fight, but we can also agree on that this is a five-round fight. Just because she lands a takedown or two does not necessarily mean the fight is going to be over right then and there. What kind of adjustments can Rose make down the stretch? And is this going to be more of a low stance from Rose Dama Yunus? No kicks at all because she doesn't want to get those kicks caught and fully focused on the boxing where she does have a big advantage, John Kelly. Yeah, I'd be surprised if she changed the game plan, at least to that extent, just because her kicking game is one of her biggest strengths. Like she's, for my money, one of the most technical strikers in the division, if not the very most. So I think on the feet is very obvious. Thug Rose is going to have a massive striking advantage. I think she could potentially hurt Carla on the feet. If Carla doesn't go to the wrestling or if she can't get the wrestling going, I think she's liable to get knocked out here. But the thing is, is I think those takedowns are going to be there for Carla Esparza. I do expect her to land takedowns. I know, obviously, both of these fighters have made a ton of improvements. But honestly, the takedown defense of, of Rose Namajunas really hasn't improved all that much over the last eight years or so. You know, she was taken down five times by Wiley Zhang in that last fight. And I know she wasn't really controlled a ton. And she's obviously very active. She's got a very active guard. She's looking to sweep, looking for submissions. Um, so it's always possible she can maybe find something after a Carla takedown, but I think for the most part, I expect the takedowns to be there. I expect Esparza to stay safe in top position. I just worry about her getting hurt on the feet. But to your point, like at this price, I'm willing to take the chance. Like I haven't bet it yet because I'm just kind of waiting. Um, but I, I am going to be betting uh, Carla Esparza. I just haven't done it yet. Um, I'll be backing her out the money line though, just because I think, um, you know, basically just the wrestling, you give me this, this odds, you know, similar to that last, matchup that we talked about you give me this big of a, a number on a fighter who i know is going to land takedowns not just one but i expect her to land three four takedowns minimum in this fight and so if that's the case then you know i i feel like i have probably the better minute winner at least the way this fight plays out like and, and i just need to avoid her getting finished uh by rose which uh i'm, I'm willing to take that chance at plus 180 odds well, the, the, the part that we agree on is takedowns will be landed by Carla Esparza. No questions asked. But five rounds, here, here's what I'm concerned about uh, uh, from your end. And firstly, plus 180 odds. I mean, that's a – unless, like, you know, Carla gets head kicked, knocked out in the first round. I mean, it seems like you got an honest shot here with odds like that. But I don't think that just because she gets one takedown that the fight's going to be over shortly after. This is not Damian Maya uh, versus uh, John, uh, versus um, Lyman Good, you know, where one back tick and let's go ahead and go home. I think this, this is going to be an honest fight. So I could see situations where Carlos Barza does get the takedowns and she does grind out Rose for that round. That round goes to Carla. But then I see other situations where Carla might get a takedown, Rose gets back up, lights her up on the feet, or even Rose lands more significant strikes, gets taken down what do the judges favor more do they favor the top control do they favor the damage landed and then 
you go back to the Marina Rodriguez fight, and it should have been a 30-27 for Carla Esparza, but she had some questionable in-fight decision-making that not just cost her rounds, John Kelly, but cost her a lot of damage. I mean, you remember when she dropped back for that leg lock, which it's like, uh, Carla, like, listen, I'm not the one in there, so it's easy for me to criticize, but like, maybe she saw an opening for a finish, but, but like, Carla, all you had to do was stay on top of top of a Marina for another minute. And instead, she drops back for a leg lock and gets her face smashed. So, you know, little things like that. Not questionable fight IQ, but questionable decision-making from time to time. Mike Coster, not to mention, if down the stretch the takedowns are tougher to come by, that's when the damage can start to accumulate, and that's where I could see it swaying in Rose Namajunas' favor. So I really think this is a round-by-round cases here. Uh, Round-by-round basis, excuse me, like, Every round is going to count for so much here, like especially if there's no finish. Because, like I said, I I see big moments happening on either side, man. And let me ask you this too. Okay, so we both agree that Carla is going to get takedowns here, but are we expecting Carla to kind of just you know lay in her guard, kind of win that round ten nine, or are we expecting it like the Yan Zhaonan fight where like? people are getting brutalized like because there's there's a fine line between the two yeah so i think early in the fight it's going to be more of that lay and pray stay safe type of game plan but as the fight goes on you know i i know nami Yunus trains in colorado but you know she tends to fade a little bit especially in these extended fights like i could see it being where carla gets more aggressive in the later rounds if she is in those favorable positions so it's kind of like i see her playing more of a safe game plan early and then getting more aggressive with it late but uh but yeah i mean we'll we'll see what happens i, I wanted to ask you though like because you mentioned you feel like the um the mental aspect has come a long way for nama Yunus, uh like it has for charles Oliveira. i fully buy into the Ch- charles Oliveira side of that I'm, I'm not sure if it really has for for rose like are, are we just saying that just because she's winning or is it like like you know what i mean like i just feel like she's always kind of had um a bit of question marks in terms of the mental you know she's saying i'm the best i'm the best like walking up to the octagon and stuff like that like i i don't know man i just feel like that's another like obviously you can't quantify that type of stuff but uh i just feel like that's another variable where it's like maybe she doesn't come in here with her a game and if she doesn't come in here with her a game then i do think esparza is a very live underdog in this fight well, I think the proof is that, you know, you look at that second Andrade fight and just mentally knowing that this girl slammed you on your head and knocked you unconscious and you don't often see out cold KOs in that division. Despite, uh, it's, or unless uh, Rose is giving them to people, right? Like she's got a couple knockouts on her own. So to overcome that adversity, come back, win the next fight, that's one example. Another example, the last fight against Wiley. Now, take away who you scored the fight for, but what we can agree on is as the fight progressed, it started to get closer. The first two, maybe three rounds, kind of, you know, Zhang was doing her thing. But as the fight progressed, I started to see those adjustments from Rose Namajunas. I even saw her go out there and land a takedown of her own. So I actually do fully believe that, you know, she she believes that she's the champ and the best. And the reason I bring that up is because if you go back, like, many years and listen to some of my old podcasts, like, dude, we were, <laughs> we were harsh on Rose Namajunas about this stuff, man. Like, I mean, I cashed plus 215 on Karolina Kovacavich against Rose in Atlanta at UFC 201. Um, it, it's just one of those things where in this specific fight, 
Um, every minute is going to count. And, and I, I know that's such a like broad thing to say, such a black and white thing to say, but like it's true, man. I mean, like if Carla gets those four minutes of top control first round and Rose doesn't have much offense, that round's going to Carla. But let's say Carla gets an early takedown round two, Rose pops back up, lands some some serious shots, and then maybe Carla gets another takedown at the end. One judge might have it one way, two judges might have it the other way. Like so there's gonna be a lot of iffy moments that you're not quite sure. Now, to your credit, in a fight like that where you're not sure and it's plus one eighty, that's the side you wanna be on. So as a from a bet, I completely understand. It's just from a pure pick. That's where I kind of think that, you know, there can be adjustments to be made because I kind of only think there's one way for Carla to win this fight. And and that's not to discredit her, you know, um, but it has to be on the mat. Like, I don't think Carla's going to come out here establishing her jab, get off on some calf kick game, drop Rose Nama Yunus. Like, those are things I'm I'm writing off, whereas I do think Rose can establish her jab, maybe get off on calf kicks on her own. But here, let me bring this up. Speaking of kicks. One thing that cost her in the last Wiley fight, even though she won, was that if you watch their first fight, well, how did she win the first fight? She won the first fight with a head kick knockout. So she went back to the kicks the second time, but Wiley came in prepared to catch those kicks and take her down. Now I'm curious if Carla kind of stays away from the kicks, follows the Joanna game plan, has that low stance, and is just kind of boxing, boxing only, no kicks which will probably lead to less opportunities for the takedowns. Now, I still think Carla's going to get takedowns regardless, but the least opportunities you can give her, the better. Yeah, I, I was going to say that it's possible. Like I said, I doubt she alters her game plan that much just because the kicking game is such a big part of her overall striking. But also, like, you look at some, not all of the takedowns that Wiley was able to land. You know, she was in on double legs. And I just think Carla's going to be able to get them. To your point, though, like, for sure, it probably gives her less of an opportunity to get those takedowns. But I just think if she's able to close distance and get into that clinch, I think she's going to be able to have a lot of success. And I think the wrestling is going to be there for Carla. Now, do you view uh, Carla's path to victories as anything else than a decision? Like, can you see a finish here? I think so. And I, I wanted to bring it up to you because I've been kind of warming up to the under in this fight. Like, I, I don't know the exact price. I don't have it in front of me. I think it's uh, like under what? Under four and a half? Um, I think there was a. Um, let me see. Now I'm going to pull it up. I was looking. The, yeah, the under four and a half is plus 155. And I was kind of warming up to that just because it's like, I, I do think Rose is super live for a finish. Like I said, if Carla, for whatever reason, can't get the wrestling going, which like I said, I think she does. But even the times where Rose does pop back up or where they are, you know, every fight starts out on the feet. Um, you know, I think Rose could hurt her on the feet, but also like, I, we know as far as it did submit her on the ultimate fighter, I know it was forever ago, but like, I'm not, I don't think she's drawing dead to a decision here. Like I think if Rose starts to fade, if Carla's getting a lot of favorable positions on the mat, you know, extended, you know, into the 20th minute or whatever in this fight, I think Carla could finish as well. Now, let me say this as, as far as uh, under four and a half that dog money, I haven't ran the numbers in like a year or two, but back when I ran them, those had the highest hit rate of any over-unders. The under four and a half that dog money were money, really? money, 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 money. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to talk you off of that. Um, I guess the reason people would be hesitant to 
get involved in that is because of Carla Esparza style, right? But every fight is different. The first two, the first time these two fought, it did end inside the difference, but it did end inside the distance. But that being said, no two fights are created equally. And Rose Nama Yunus is actually gotten a hundred percent rate of winning rematches. And we got a, uh, um, you know, three examples. We got Joanna and and me bringing this up. Here are two examples I'm trying to cover. I'm trying to cover that the outcome was different each time, but that she won the rematch each time. So just to say that, you know, no two fights are created equally. You know, against Joanna, knocks her out in the first round. Second time, goes all five rounds. Against Wiley, knocks her out in the first round. Next time, goes all five rounds. Against Jessica, gets slammed on her head in the second round. Next time, goes all three rounds. So no two fights are created equally. And... While I do see Carla having her moments, I don't think it's going to be that pillar to post domination it was the first time in 2014. That's for sure. That being said, I do see Carla Esparza having her moments as well. So who's going to have the bigger? If no, if there's no finish in this fight, who's going to have the bigger moments? That that that's what I want to know, and that's what I think determines this fight. Is this top control going to outweigh some potential damage and big moments? from Rose Nama Yunus. So it's it's an intriguing fight, my man. I mean, when we have questions like that, it's dog or pass. And when I when I bet on Rose, I like betting her at I forgot what the odds are. I'm I'm guessing like plus one forty to plus one sixty against Joanna in the rematch when she beat her the first time. That I liked. Uh why Lee uh, uh Rose against Wiley plus one oh five in the rematch when she beat her the first time. That I liked. But then there's been times when I've gone out there and faded Rose and lost. I faded Rose in the second Andrade fight, and I lost. And with Carla, I've had mixed results as well. I went out there and cashed a plus 240 on random Marcos against uh, Carla, but then I go back and lose on Xiaonan and Marina Rodriguez. So mixed results on both for me. So this is another one I'm going to sit back on. I would take Rose. If it, pick them fight, I'd take Rose. I, maybe minus 150 I, i'd consider consider it but i, I just don't want to lay chalk like i'd like to take rose at dog odds so i wish you the best on this one man i mean i don't have a bet on rose here so my pure pick is rose but i think you have sound logic and reasoning for taking the dog shot and i do think she's got a chance to win this fight Absolutely, man. And for what it's worth, that that's probably what I would line the true odds at is like Rose, maybe minus 145 or minus 150, somewhere in that range. So there is a little bit of edge on on Carla currently. Yes, sir. So featured bout in the lightweight division, we got Michael Chandler, the former Bellator champion. He's 22 and seven, taking on Tony Elkukui Ferguson, the former UFC interim lightweight champion, who's 25 and six. And currently they got it. You ready? You ready for this? Oh, it's big. Michael Chandler minus, depends where you look. I see a minus 425. I see a minus 526. The comeback on Tony Elkukui Ferguson is plus 300. It's just, John Kelly, are are, are we getting the real Elkukui? You know what I mean? Like, are we getting the real Elkukui? Because what I've been seeing from, uh, from him lately is not reminiscent of the guy we all know and love. It sounds like a bitter old fighter who... When that, look, 
we talk about narratives, put stock into it, don't put stock into it, but I don't like the way he's talking. And usually when they talk like that, uh, I make good money against them. Unfortunately, I can't make good money laying minus 400. So I, I think it comes down to how's this first round going to go? How much damage is Chandler going to land? Because Chandler's hell on a wheel. Ch- Chandler's hell on wheels in that first round, and he pushes such a pace, fires out the gate. Tony Ferguson's there to be hit. Even in his prime, he was out there getting dropped. He was just able to come back and break guys. Now, that scenario is live here because Chandler does slow down as fights progress, not because he's not in shape, not because he's not putting in his road work, but because the guy goes 100 miles per hour. Uh, John Kelly, if me and you get in a sports car right now and we ride 100 miles per hour on the highway, do you think our gas tank is going to get better as we keep going on these miles? It's obviously going to get worse. That's just how this shit works. So... Can Michael Chandler not fucking go into this zombie mode in these second and third rounds where Tony Ferguson could potentially break him down the stretch? Yeah, you know, this one, it's tough because I'm I'm a big Michael Chandler fan. And back in the day, you know, obviously everybody was a big Tony Ferguson fan, but it's just the way these two match up. Like, like you mentioned it, like we all favor Chandler in this spot, but do we favor him a minus 425? Like, I, I, I think that line... For sure. I, I agree that it's wide. But on the flip side, like I have no interest in backing this version of Tony Ferguson. You asked if this is are we getting the real Tony Ferguson? Sadly, I think this is the real Tony Ferguson in 2022. <laughs> like as sad as that is to say, like he's just not the same guy. Like we saw it with so many fighters over the course of their career where you see the the drop off becomes pretty gradual the older they get and the more miles on or, or the more tread on their tires um, using your analogy with the race car. But now it's just like, it seems like it's just fallen off a cliff, like in terms of the durability, even the fight IQ, like he's out there throwing sand. Like, I mean, I just, I don't trust his fight IQ. I don't trust his fighting style. And and in this matchup against Chandler, you mentioned it, like Chandler's super dangerous in the first round. Can he get him out of there early? I don't want to bet on that. Like I know some people maybe take the round one prop on Chandler. Like I'm not doing that personally because Ferguson is still super tough. Like, yes, I do think the durability is starting to go, but like even after taking an absurd, a life changing amount of damage from Justin Gaethje, he was still standing into the fifth round of that fight. And it was basically just like, you know, he just took one too many where he did the chicken dance like five different times. Like his brain is just like, I mean, really shutting down. Like, I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, like, a Shane Burgos style of knockout here. And I don't want to see that style of knockout. Exactly. I don't want to see that. Um, But I I think if he gets knocked out, it would have to be, like, something along those lines. So it's just not something I'm going to bet on. I obviously favor Chandler to win because even if he doesn't find that round one finish, I do think, yes, he tends to fade a little bit. But I do think he can go back to that wrestling base. He comes from a high-level wrestling background. We saw Ferguson in his last two fights completely dominated, not only by the champ Charles Oliveira, but Benil Dariush in that next fight as well. So I think that's a very clear game plan for Michael Chandler. Who knows if he's going to fight the smartest, you know, because I do expect him to come out here and, and try to take Ferguson's head off. But uh, I just like the fact that he has the wrestling to fall back on if he needs to. What's crazy is that you hear Michael Chandler talk and he's such an intelligent, well-spoken individual. 
and then sometimes in the fight you see the complete opposite of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like even in in wins, man. Okay, so you remember the Brent Primus fight? Okay, the first one, you know, with the injury, whatever. But they rematch, right? And it's a domination by Chandler, but he's still out there getting dropped by jabs. There's still moments that shouldn't be happening on his opponent's side, and you just don't want to. You don't want to see that moment where you know he takes. Ferguson down and Ferguson slices him open with an elbow from bottom. You got a cut stoppage. Just little things like that. Like, so yeah, he's gonna be coming firing out the gate and he's gonna have a big speed advantage. Tony's there to be hit. Tony's slowed down significantly. It's but these last few fights. I mean, it's been getting ugly, man. I mean, Benil Dariush, people just talk about oh Benil laid on him, which is not what happened. Benil was out there like landing like Dutch uh tie kicks. Like I say Dutch tie too. You know, he was like, going out there landing uh kickboxing combos like to both both legs, man. Like he was out there styling on Michael Chandler, man, and uh the submission attempts weren't even close on I said he was styling on Chandler. I meant he was styling on Ferguson. Ferguson. Yep. Um even the the Darce attempt that Ferguson had was nowhere near the ones that he used to have back in the day. I just don't see the same guy. I think the line reflects that. So I'm just not interested in getting involved. You know, at, at, at the beginning of the week, I was thinking, you know, maybe a 0.5 unit shot on Ferguson just because of these odds. But um, to me, I'm just going to sit back and pass, man. I, I don't I'm not interested. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm just going to hit a pass. I saw some people uh, interested in like the over one and a half. I don't mind that look, but uh, I, I'm with you, man. I just I'm, I'm going to pass. I'm going to enjoy it. I hope it's a fun fight. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put any any money on this one. I mean, as far as over one and a half, like logically speaking, I get um, I get the reasoning 100 percent. But one thing that I like to talk about is these things don't get better. These things get worse. So what I mean by that is we now we could start to see Ferguson get knocked out in the first round. And it could even be a, a spot where he gets dropped and, you know, he starts crying early stoppage. You know, they're trying to look out for his health. So you never know, man. And Chandler, one thing about him, that early going, you, the young man can crack, uh, you know, oh, yeah. to make no mistake about it. So you got to favor Chandler here. Do you favor him to this extent? A couple of years ago, I wouldn't favor him to this extent. It's just do I now in 2022 when we've seen how many rounds in a row of uh, – of Ferguson losing and it's kind of like to bring up the Woodley talk look I know Ferguson and Woodley fight nothing alike Woodley throws one strike every two hours but what I'm trying to say is they've lost how many rounds in a row right there hasn't there hasn't besides that one punch uh uh Gaethje landed in round two of the Ferguson fight he hasn't had a single moment in any of these fights Ferguson that is yeah, I, and I think it's like eleven straight rounds that he's dropped. Like I just, I put, I put no faith in him. Like to your point, I don't favor Chandler this much. Like I do think the line is wide here. I just have zero interest in betting Tony Ferguson on the other side. Uh, a comment here was, the burn says Chandler is chinny with no gas after five minutes, and Ferguson is old. I know that that's that's the interesting thing. It's like, what are we gonna see past the first round if it gets there? Because in old times, it would have been a situation where that's when Tony Ferguson turns up. That's when Tony Ferguson goes out there and breaks guys. I mean, you watch that Anthony Pettis fight, and Anthony dropped him in that first round, but 
by the end of the fight, I mean, he had Anthony up against the fence and Tony was teeing off. And, man, when Tony starts getting in his flow, it's a beautiful thing to watch. We'll talk about Donald Cerrone when he gets in his flow. It's just, is he capable of tapping into that version of himself in this current form? So that's what remains to be seen, John Kelly. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got another rematch, this time between Ovint St. Pru, OSPs, 25 and 16, taking on Mauricio Shogun Hua, or as we like to say in Brazil, John Kelly, Mauricio Shogun. He's 27 and 12, and currently they got it. Ovin St. Pru, minus 250. The comeback on Mauricio Shogun is plus 205. So, since the time their first fight happened, I believe OSB's had like upwards of like 20 fights. Like the dude's been fighting nonstop. And Shogun's such a legend. And I, I got to just be honest, like I, I'm a Shogun fanboy, man. I mean, I grew up watching this guy. Like guys, uh, this was a long time ago, so I know it sounds stupid, but uh, and it was stupid, but I picked uh, Shogun to beat John Jones. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll, I'll see myself out. You know what I, you know what I mean, yeah, John I, Kelly? I actually got to go, bro. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but that being said, the way the first fight played out, um, I could see it going a different way this time, man. Like, it's just that, like, I know Shogun, he, he can still give it to an extent. I just know he can't quite take it anymore like he used to. And it's going to be sad when I'm betting on him and he's landing some big shots on OSP. And then one shot from OSP and Mauricio is wobbling all over the place. And then he's completely gassed out by the time the second round rolls around. But let's not sit here and act like Ovin St. Pru, you know, like he's got the best process to his game. Not to discredit him because he's been in the UFC a long ass time, but I truly believe that he's gotten away with a lot of things just based off the kind of athlete he is and when i say things like that it really sounds like i'm discrediting his hard work or this or that but like i don't see osb fighting behind a jab like i don't see osb having the best volume i just see osb kicks hard punches hard athletic mixes and takedowns you go on a guillotine you don't you don't let go of that guillotine you know what's coming that fucking von flu is coming so he's got opportunistic finishing ability but i actually think shogun's got the much better process and if shogun's not badly compromised in this fight i think there's a chance he can come out here and win as a dog am i confident no look at the version of shogun we're dealing with it's just um i i could see it happening i really could that, that's the thing you say if if he's able to not be compromised the problem is that's such a massive if in this such a massive like, if. and and i don't put much faith in in the saint Prue side uh either because i i think he's a little bit washed honestly like i bet against yes. him multiple times in this bad streak that he's had he's lost five of his last seven fights between heavyweight and light heavyweight and let's not forget he struggled to make 205 he missed didn't he miss last time he cut to 205 didn't he miss weight yeah, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. He missed weight against Jamal Hill, had those the stints at heavyweight where he, where he looked atrocious. Looked and now terrible. he's dropping back to, to 205. Dropping back to 205. So keep an eye out on, on the scales tomorrow. But we'll see, man. I, I don't rate St. Prue high whatsoever. Like, even when he was fighting, um, you know, the Ben Rothwell fight and all those, like, I, I still didn't want to touch him there. I faded him a couple times, like I said. Um, I just... 
on the flip side, I might have more concerns about Shogun Hua's durability just because he's been knocked out six times in his career. You mentioned it seems like basically every strike that lands seems to be hurting this guy. So this is like – I. My initial thought was 1-800-GAMBLER if you want to <laughs> place any money on this fight. But then I looked at some of the props, and I'm like, am I really going to put some money on this fight? Because I saw a St. Prue by knockout on FanDuel was plus 250, and I'm like, I feel like that's probably a decent bet, but I just I don't know if I want to be that guy uh, to chase a knockout prop in a fight that I think is going to be really sloppy on both sides. To your point, I do think Shogun Hua is is more talented. It's just I don't know if – if, if I can trust him to stay alive here. And then on top of that, he is going to be fighting the bigger fighter. So I don't know how much wrestling success he's going to have against St. Prue, which I think he probably needs to win this fight. And mentally speaking, one thing I want to bring up is that, you know, OSP might, you know, might not be out of his comfort zone just in the sense that, Oh, I knocked this dude out in 30 seconds. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. need to wake up X. I don't need to wake up at 6 a.m. and run those extra miles. Whereas, Shogun, even though, you know, he's also, you know, at a spot where one or two fights away from retirement, at least he knows, hey, this guy knocked me out before. There's got to be that danger factor in his head, like going to bed every night, remembering what happened the first time. I think he wants to get one back on him. So I think the mental edge actually is on Shogun here. I think he's going to be the hungrier guy, which is crazy to say about a guy who's one or two fights away from retirement. But I just see it that way. Like what like like from OSP standpoint, like like are you motivated to knock him out in under 30 seconds or do you view it like I got this? I got this guy's number. You see what I did to him last time? Like throw the skateboard under him. You you saw that gift. Uh, (laughs) He's going to slip and and I'm going to walk out with my dub. So I don't know, man. I don't know. So to me, it's a dog or pass. But when I but when I say that you know half a unit shot one unit shot let's not exaggerate let's not let's not go big or nothing but it's just do i feel comfortable laying minus 250 on ovin st prue in 2022 no i do not so um, i'm picking shogun to win this fight yeah i i don't hate it man and if you are gonna bet the fight like i said i mean with you if you're betting the money line no chance i'm i'm playing laying chalk on ovin st prue um i I, if you are gonna play him though i would say target uh probably the knockout prop because plus 250 is not a bad look for a guy that seemingly his durability is is not really there at this stage in his career you know i'm more of a money line guy i mean because it's like just think like i talk about all these examples all the time the the fans are sick of me talking about this like when i uh, bet on francis and ganu plus 130 and everyone gave me shit for not betting uh him by ko instead and like, then he wins by decision yeah i'm like <laughs> dude just like it's t- it's tough enough to pick a winner let alone the, the you know the method i mean like i didn't bet on jordan levitt but he was like a dog and people were betting him by sub and not taking just the outright money line when he was the dog i bet they felt pretty fucking stupid doing that so to me i'm money lines enough especially when he's a plus 200 dog so i'm i'm good on the prop yeah and full disclosure i was one of those stupid people that uh lost (laughs) money on on uh the monkey king's uh submission prop in that fight don't don't you just wish you you would have just taken him straight because he was the dog he was plus 130 i mean it was just it was stupid that's all there is to it. it was but that's but those are the things you learn from. Like you gotta experience that to know going forward. Let's not fucking do that anymore. I mean, if, if the price is reasonable, right? If it was like minus one eighty or some shit, okay, then I understand. But if the guys that if the guy that you're picking outright is the dog, 
Let's let's not try to get cute. Let's not try to get fancy. But to each their own. That that's just me though. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, like I didn't expect him to win that fight. Like the only reason I bet the submission prop was because it was like plus three eighty or something, which I thought was just kind of uh bizarre being that he's such a submission first style fighter. But he he's not fighting on this card, so we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But I just thought like he was what plus one twenty or something on the money line. His submission prop was plus three sixty or plus three eighty. It was just a wide discrepancy for the way he typically fights. But I, I will say this: if you took one unit on money line, half unit on on sub, then you still come out on top. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but but that's a different talk for a different time. So let's move on to the fight kicking off the main card between. The legend, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, he's 36 and 16, taking on another legend in Joe Lozon, who was 28 and 15. Surprised that these guys have never fought before, like considering how long they, their, their tenures inside the UFC um, and even the WC for Cerrone. Um, so currently they got it. Cerrone minus 185. The comeback on Lozon is plus 160. John Kelly I know that on paper this seems pretty easy to call in terms of the dynamic of the matchup. I mean, Joe Lozon's known for going out there, balls to the wall in that first round, and he can get a lot of guys out of there early or hurt them badly. I mean, even in some of these fights that he's losing, like the Stevie Ray fight, he got a 10-8 in that first round. Um, and this version of Donald Cerrone, he's always been a slow starter throughout his career. It's just that back in his heyday, he was able to weather those storms. And I know for a fact if they ran this a few years back, like it'd be a max bet on, on Donald Cerrone as far as I'm concerned because I know he'd weather that Lozon storm. And I know that once Cowboy Cerrone starts getting into his flow, once Donald Cerrone starts getting off on his combinations, he's got some of the most beautiful work in UFC history. I mean, the way you, you remember that combo we hit on Rick Story? You remember oh, that yeah. com you remember that combo he hit on Patrick Cote? And I mean he's had the most fights in UFC history, unless Jim Miller surpassed him. Just just what I'm trying to say is that there's so many I could mention that um my, my boy uh, Leo decided to hop in the <laughs> chat here. Hey, and it's funny the dog comes in while we're about to talk about the underdog. Usually that's a sign that uh but anyways, what I'm trying to say here is that I'm not sure Cerrone can still weather these early storms, and I know that Lozon is still going to go balls to the wall in that first round. I think that Lozon first-round finish is live. But again, back to the Shogun talk. The reason that you know you can't sit here and put four units on Lozon, you can't sit here and go big, is because we know Lozon historically falls apart after that first round, and it's been happening year after year after year, even in his prime. Now, there have been some exceptions. I mean, I know you remember that Jamie Varner fight where he came back and actually got a third-round finish, but for the most part, it's a situation where Lozon's got to get you out of there early. But Cerrone's on a six-fight skid, man. Cerrone is not looking like Cerrone anymore. Cerrone's getting finished by guys um, – my boy said it's hard to hear Daniel over that shirt. That's funny. But the, <laughs> mic, the, the mic sounds good, though, right? Oh, it's super clear. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Cerrone's been getting finished by guys that wouldn't, wouldn't have even been able to hold his jock strap a couple years ago. And that's not any kind of disrespect. Because back in the day, if you're not a top five guy you're not beating Donald Cerrone. That's literally how it used to be. But nowadays, we got guys like 
Um, Alex Morano coming out here and finishing him in the first round. And all due respect, Morano, very tough guy that I enjoy watching. But is Morano a top five guy? Is Morano a top 10 guy? Is Morano a top 15 guy? Is Morano a top 20 guy? No, he's just an exciting fighter in the UFC who I enjoy watching. But the fact that guys like that are finishing him in the first round, super alarming because that would have never, ever been the case back in the day. So, I think Joe Lozon's got a chance to come out here and run through Donald in the first round. It's just the reason that you got to, you know, use proper money management, use discipline, exercise caution is because if this fight goes past the first round, if Cerrone starts tapping into his flow, into his groove, I mean, let's just be honest, he's going to pick apart Lozon in that second and third round and possibly get him out of there. Yeah, that's that's basically how I see it playing out. You know, anytime you see Donald Cerrone at this stage in his career as a pretty big favorite, it gives you a little room or it gives you a little cause for concern, right? Like he's like a minus 175 favorite. You mentioned uh, not quite a six fight skid, though. You know, he did have a draw there against Nico Price, right? So give him a little bit of credit. But I, I mean, I like uh, I like Cerrone in this matchup. You know, I, I do agree with you that Lozon is live in the first round. But outside of that, like, I think, and honestly, like, I don't think he's really going to have that much success. Like, like obviously against Jonathan Pierce, right? He was able to get the takedown, dominate him on the mat. Like it wasn't even close. I don't think he's going to be able to do that against Donald Cerrone. Like, I don't, I'm not even convinced he can get takedowns against Donald Cerrone. So I think he pretty much has to hurt him on the feet, which yeah. is obviously live because Cerrone's chin is definitely uh, declining. He's been knocked out a ton over the his that six fight skit or whatever so um but outside of like that early finish from Lozon which I think is just a very small outcome I, I think Donald Cerrone's the better minute winner I think he's the better fighter so I, I like Cerrone in this matchup I'm not going to bet him because I could see this one just being super sloppy you have a ton of concerns on both sides we mentioned the durability concerns of Donald Cerrone how about Joe Lozon's durability concerns? You know, people were saying he should hang it up like three, four years ago. And then he comes back, has the fight in Boston and wins. I thought that was his retirement fight. Now he's coming off like a two and a half year layoff. So who knows what what version of him we're going to get? You know, I'm not expecting to see like this vintage masterclass performance from Joe Lozon. So I, yeah. I think the counter striking is going to be a, a big factor in this matchup. So I, I lean the Cerrone side. Um, might be a hot take, but I could see this one kind of going the full 15 minutes where maybe we almost see a finish by Lozon in the first round and then almost see a finish by Cerrone um, in the second or third round. And then Cerrone just gets his hand raised in his decision. But uh, yeah, I, I like the Cerrone side. I think he covers here. No, I mean, it's not going to be Lozon taking him down. It, it has to be Lozon blitzing yeah. him on the feet and giving him no respect whatsoever. And it's not just the six fight skid. And I'm going to mention fighters who are on a different league than Lozon, but basically this has been an ongoing thing. You remember the second RDA fight, the one that was for the title, just just blitzes him right away, which is what Lozon does to guys. I mean, you watch that Lozon versus Diego Sanchez fight, and yeah, oh, oh, Diego Sanchez, this and that. But Diego Sanchez at least like... Even though he loses like every single fight, at least for the most part, he goes a three round distance and takes his ass whooping like a man. Like even Michelle Pereira couldn't get him out of there, which is crazy. Kevin Lee couldn't get him out of there recently. Like at least Diego, like he's not winning fights. Let's 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 establish that. But at least he's taking he's, he can take his ass whoopings for the most part. Lozon got him out of there. That's what I'm worried about here with Cerrone. I'm worried about Lozon blitzing him and just hurting him, compromising him, putting him away in that first. If this goes past the first, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I've been worried about Lozon a long time. I cashed on Gritzmacher against Lozon, right? <laughs> but back to that fight, Lozon was having that early success. Gritzmacher's one of those guys that, for the most part, there's been some exceptions, but for the most part, you hit him with a baseball bat, you start teeing off on him, you start gassing out from whooping his ass, and then all of a sudden he comes back. He's still there. You watch that Rafa Garcia fight. Rafa Garcia thought the fight was in the bag, hurt him early, unloaded the tank, and uh, the dude was still there, you know. That's the, that's the thing. Like, I'm not convinced that um, that uh, Cerrone's still going to be there. So that's what I'm worried about on the Cerrone side. And that's the only path I see uh, for Lozon is that first-round finish. So as a result, I do want him on my DraftKings. Do I want to take a one-unit shot on him? I don't know because I'm betting on a washed-up fighter. Like, I acknowledge that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'd, but but it's the spot. And this version of Cerrone, I don't know. I don't know, man. So Cerrone in the second or third or Lozon in the first? Or, or if it's a decision, 29-28 Cerrone probably. Or or a draw, 10-8 first. Uh, but then again, it might not be a draw because the win- the rounds that Cerrone wins might be dominant might be too. Hate to, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is yeah, it's gonna be a fucking great fight, man. I'm glad they're doing it. Now, before we talk about uh, the featured prelim between Randy Brown and Chaos Williams, go ahead and plug all your stuff right now because I my dog's asking me to leave the studio. So let me let him out the room real quick. And tell everybody where to find you. Tell everybody what you got coming up. And say what's up to the fans real quick. Give me one second, y'all. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, so for those that don't know, um, I did a full betting and DraftKings breakdown on my YouTube channel, at John Kelly DFS. I also will be having an underdog pick'em video that comes out later tonight on my YouTube channel. I have a website, fightnumbers.com, where I have a bunch of uh, free DFS and betting information for UFC um gamblers basically um a lot of cool stuff down the pipeline as well so definitely go check all that everything i do is completely free so uh let me know what you think i like it just so y'all know but uh before we talk about this fight between randy brown and chaos williams which is actually my first bet of the night as of as of this recording i gotta give a shout out to our sponsor DraftKings sportsbook so guys the calf slicer, the Peruvian necktie, the banana split. There are tons of ways to come out on top inside the octagon. And for UFC 274, there's one more with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. So choose your fighter, then sit back and watch the action unfold. Anything can happen on fight night, but with DraftKings Sports thing, with with DraftKings Sportsbook, you got a sure thing for UFC 274. Bet $5 and get 150 in free bets if your fighter wins. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code LEVY. That's my last name. Spell like Levi Jeans, L-E-V-I, not L-E-V-Y like Natan Levy, L-E-V-I like Levi Jeans. Throw down $5 on any U- UFC 274 fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code LEVY this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for detail. And shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, my friend, let's get down to this featured prelim between Randy Rude Boy Brown, who's 14 and 4, taking on Chaos Williams, who is 13 and 2. And currently, they got it. 
Chaos Williams minus 125. The comeback on Randy Brown is plus 105. So I, I think this is an amazing fight. I think that if you want me to keep it 100 with you, which I tend to always do, uh, John Kelly, I think that both these guys are top 15 guys right now, despite them not being ranked. Because one thing I've been talking about often is that a lot of these up and comers, I say quote unquote up and comers, are about to usher out the old guard. You go to a weight class like lightweight right now. Let, let me let me read some funny things to you. Tony Ferguson is number seven in the world. Conor McGregor, all due respect, is number nine in the world. Dan Hooker is number thirteen in the world. You mean to tell me that these guys like Armin Sarukian, Rafael Fiziev, Brad Riddell are not just about to come out here and usher out the Tony Ferguson's and the Dan Hookers? So you're about to see a new era emerge. And the reason I brought that up is because you go up to a welterweight where this bout is taking place. Currently at number seven, they got uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, this version of him, the 40-year-old Thompson. They got at number seven. They got Jorge Masvidal at number eight. They got Neil Magny at 10. They got Kiesa at 11. Like, you mean to tell me that these guys like Shafkat Rachmanov, Sean Brady, Hamzat Chimaev, you mean to tell me that these guys aren't about to come out here and usher these guys out the rankings? And the reason I bring this up is because I think Randy Brown and Chaos Williams are top 15 guys right now. They just haven't had that signature win per se that gets them there, but I think they're on the level right now. Jose Lopez says, you're losing that Randy Brown bet, Daniel. Shit, I hope not, but but if you think that, you should bet Chaos, man. But let me like at least give my reasoning first. So... I mean, there's no denying what Chaos brings to the table. He's got that one hitter quitter, but I wouldn't disrespect. Uh, oh shit! What does that mean? That the 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 dude, the it's belt? a bad omen. That does Every that time. It's a bad omen. So I don't know if that means it's bad on your bet or because I was going to pick Chaos Williams. So it could just mean that I'm wrong. Yeah, well, we'll see. But uh, so basically, you can't deny the one hitter quitter power of. Uh, chaos williams there are no questions asked about that but for me to sit here and act like the only path to victory for chaos is oh he's just had he's got to land a lucky punch that would be categorically false and factually incorrect because i think that chaos williams is a very very skilled guy i actually think he can win decisions i think he can mix in takedowns and i think that he will be a, a top 15 guy one day no questions asked. He will be a top 15 guy. And I like his mindset. I, I like how serious this guy takes the game. So Chaos Williams, 100% on my radar. But the thing is, he's only, he's only 26, 27, only had five UFC fights. He's still, he still got to pay your dues a little bit, young man. And I think that that's what this fight is right here, man. I think that the key for Randy Brown to win this fight is volume and movement. And you might look at UFC stats and it says that, oh, uh, chaos lands more than randy brown but if you actually look deep into it the reason the numbers say that is because uh chaos williams had two knockouts in like 30 seconds which completely skewed the the stats but the reality of it is if you want to talk about who has landed more strikes in a 15 minute fight it's randy brown so what i think here is that randy brown he's got to play that long man game that's the bottom line here he's got to keep chaos williams on the outside he's got to pop that jab 
mixing the kicks from time to time, maybe even get him thinking about takedowns. He doesn't necessarily have to get a takedown, but at least faint the takedowns. And come out here and use that experience, man. I mean, at, by this point, Randy Brown has been paying his dues for so long. He's fought tough competition. He's been in there with two guys that are currently ranked in the top five. And I think it's finally his time to shine. These last two performances, I, I've been seeing the Randy Brown I've been wanting to see for a very long time. You know, the fight with Oliveira, Cowboy, I understand Cowboy might be might have seen better days, but I mean Cowboy still has moments in a lot of these fights. Like usually it's like one one going into the third round, and he'll drop the third round because he's gassed. Or like the Kevin Holland fight, he won the first round and then, and then got stopped in in the second. But like Randy Brown just went out there and just just starched him and got a uh, one handed uh, rear naked choke. The Jared Gooden fight, like yeah, I might be biased because Jared's my boy, but can we all agree that Jared has an absolutely insane chin? Did you see that front kick to the face that Jared ate and didn't even flinch? And the reason I bring that up is because like Jared's a guy that's had thirty professional fights. He's only been stopped one time. The guy that stopped him was a six foot five two oh fiver, and even he couldn't knock out Jared. It was a standing TKO. So Jared's got one of the best chins i've seen in all my years watching this sport and i'm just not convinced that some of these other guys can eat the shots that randy brown was landing uh in that fight and i'm not sitting here questioning the the durability of chaos williams not at all very durable guy but in that baeza fight i saw some moments where both guys got rocked it's just chaos williams has a hell of a poker face but baeza still green baeza still figuring things out baeza is not quite there yet whereas randy brown he's been in the ufc since his early 20s now he's a 31 32 year old grown ass man i think he's flat out in his prime i think he's ready to come out here and have these big performances and i think he, i think he's going to edge out chaos williams in this fight look is there a chance that chaos williams knocks him out look chaos williams <laughs> hits so damn hard i think he can knock anybody out but I also wouldn't write off the possibility of Randy Brown getting a stoppage of his own. I mean, those shots he was landing in that last fight, I mean, when he starts putting his hands together, man, especially with that length, um, and now that he's got the experience, the seasoning, the confidence in himself to know that he belongs, I think we're going to start seeing the best version of Randy Brown. So I took the plus 115 odds on Brown. It's more of a bet on Brown than it is a fade on Chaos because I respect Chaos. Like I said, I think both these guys are top 15 guys right now, and I think that – they both will be in the top 15. I just kind of think that chaos, like, dude, you've only had five UFC fights. Randy's had close to three times the amount of fights as you. It's his time. He's paid his dues right now. I think he's going to have his moment. But in about a year or two, you, you, will be, you will be hearing from chaos in the rankings. Make no mistake. But I took Randy Brown plus 115. Give me that movement. Give me that volume. And let's go out there and win this fight. Yeah, so I love the breakdown, love the confidence on Randy Brown. This is one, and good news for you, because I am the opposite of a Chaos Williams whisperer. That's what I am, and I'm picking him in this matchup. So, I mean, it, sh it should mean that Randy Brown's going to win, because I have basically, I guess, underrated Chaos throughout his career and really just have not been able to fade him successfully, even when I bet Michelle Pereira, I think I bet him by knockout or something like that, like to where I didn't even end up cashing that one as well. And back um, to that but, discussion we had. Yeah, yeah, that was a mistake. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I just I think this is a competitive fight. I do actually think that Randy Brown's the more talented of the two as far as, you know, his well-rounded game. I think he's a little bit more clean on the feet. I think he's more defensively sound. The problem is 
I don't trust the durability quite as much as you do. Like, I don't think he reacts great to getting hit. Um, I do think he's susceptible to getting knocked out. And like you said, Chaos Williams does have a ton of power. So it's like a fight that I think is going to be competitive that I don't really have a ton of conviction on. I guess I favor the guy with a little bit more power who's probably a little bit more durable durable as well. So that's why I lean chaos. But again, it's no bet for me, and I, I don't feel strongly either way. But uh, like I said, I've, I've never gotten chaos right, or I, I've never got him right betting against him, and I've never got him right when I picked him. So uh, I guess it's good news for a Randy Brown bet. Let's see what happens, man. I mean, again, it's a 1.5 unit shot at plus 115 odds. It's not like I'm sitting here saying it's max bet season. Like I think you guys... I hope you guys saw the kind of respect I have for chaos. I mean, I called him a top 15 guy right now. I think he's that good. I just think that I, I do believe in paying your dues. I do believe in seasoning and experience. And then talk about the movement and the length and uh, the volume, which is what I hope to see Randy Brown execute on a Saturday night. So let's see what happens. Everybody watching this, do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You know, I don't got no big websites backing me or nothing. This is all me uh, and all my awesome guests just trying to give you guys some entertaining content and some informative stuff as well. And I'm truly grateful for every single one of you that's in here with me right now. So the ways you guys help the channel grow, hit the like, bu hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, share, comment on this video, retweet. All those little things you guys do help the show grow incrementally. So I truly appreciate it, and let's keep pushing. Now, next up, also in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between the ageless wonder, Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo. He's 27-8. and eight. He will be 44 years old later this year, taking on Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, who is 18-5. and five. And currently, they got it. Basically a pick em with a slight lean on Trinado, minus 115 Trinado, minus 105 uh, Danny Roberts. And, uh, man, how do you kind of see this one going down? Because Trinaldo, I mean, I keep waiting for the day that he finally <laughs> – Hey, hey, Oscar! Not, now's not the time, big guy. You heard my dog barking in the background. Hey, yeah, does that does, is that a sign for the underdog? Does that mean we got to bet on Hot Danny on Roberts. Danny Roberts here, uh, my man? But uh, <laughs> but uh, basically, I think that this is a spot where actually I want to hear your take first. So, well, but 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 before you do, I've been waiting not because I want to see Trinaldo fail. I love Trinaldo; he's such a badass. He Trinaldo knows what it means to have a seven-fight win streak in the UFC. Trinaldo knows what it means to hit the top fifteen. Trinaldo is a bad motherfucker. The guy I got so much respect for. Masuranduba stands for what Brazilian redwood, and you can tell by the way the guy's built. Um, but that being said, are we finally reaching that point where the wheels will start to fall off? He turns forty-four later this year, John Kelly. Yeah, you know, this is another one. I feel like I don't have a strong take on it because Trinaldo kind of always finds himself in those close competitive fights, especially if they go the full 15 minutes. And I do think this one probably goes the full 15 minutes. You know, he's not super high volume. He does have some power, but he he can get hit as well. And, you know, he, he mixes in the grappling, but not a ton. You know, he averages just under like one takedown per 15 minutes or right around one. Um, and then on the flip side, like Danny Roberts is going to be the bigger fighter here. He's going to have a size advantage. I think he has like a four or five inch reach advantage as well. He's the more natural 170 year in this matchup. But it's like Trinaldo is a very strong 
fighter. Like, even though he's going to be smaller, I don't really think the size of Roberts is going to play at least too big of a role because I don't think this fight's going to be fought a ton out in space. Like, I expect Ronaldo to close distance to cage push, probably land a takedown or two. Um, so this is one where it's like, I don't have a, a strong take either way, but I do actually favor uh, the old man i guess you can say in uh trinaldo here just because i think it's going to be a close fight and i i trust him a little bit more in terms of the durability roberts has been finishing all five of his professional losses he's a guy historically speaking is completely untrustworthy so in a fight like we're fights that i think are always going to be like super close or competitive you know we're kind of grasping at straws to favor one side or the other i i tend to use those type of things as tiebreakers. Like, okay, well, if I know Trinaldo at least has the heart and the durability factor, like if all, all other things equal, like I'm going to side with him, even though he's over the hill, you know? So I, I lean Trinaldo. I think it's probably Trinaldo's decision, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Roberts pull it off either. It, it's going to be a pass for me in terms of the betting market. Look, there's no question there has been durability concerns on the Robert side. I mean, that's not a uh, opinion. That's a fact. Like, let's just get that out the way. But the output on the Trinado side, excuse me, the output on the Trinado side, especially these days, has been so low. But, I mean, obviously you got to always look out for that massive overhand left, the opportunistic takedowns at the end of rounds. I mean, the guy is such a vet. He's so seasoned. He's not going to do anything uncharacteristic. The things that I'm worried about is these close fights, and he starts to fade down the stretch. He is getting up there in age, like we mentioned. And one thing about Danny Hot Chocolate, while he's conscious, dude's a dog. Dude tries to, dude hustles. Dude tries to win the fights. And that Ami fight, like, I don't care who you scored that Ami fight for. What we can all agree on is that Danny Roberts gave it 100% effort. Like, and that's something I like. And if you give me dog odds on him, just, just give me like plus 105. Give me plus 110. I'll take a one unit shot to. Take a guy who I think is going to give maximum effort, a guy who I think is kind of in his prime versus someone who I got so much admiration for but is going to be 44 later this year. Is is he an ageless wonder like Yoel where it doesn't matter? Is he an ageless wonder like Randy Couture where it just doesn't matter? And, I mean, it hasn't mattered like the last few fights, right? It's just at some point it will. And usually you got to predict these things one fight in advance. Like, so and, and like you think back to like Frankie Edgar you used to be able to hit Frankie Edgar with a baseball bat. I used to be able to run over Frankie Edgar with a car and he'd come back and finish you know he'd come back and easily win the fight you remember the Gray Manor trilogy uh I want to say yes but I might be confusing it with one of the other fights oh shit okay well let's let's go back and rewatch the Gray Manor Frankie Edgar trilogy but basically my point is don't even don't don't even worry about the first fight, but the but the second and third fight, the first round was ten eight for Gray Maynard both times. He like dropped Frankie Edgar like four or five times, and like Gray May and Frankie Edgar dug deep and came back and and won those fights. Like, but the reason I brought that up was because and then you watch uh, Frankie Edgar versus Benson Henderson when Benson Henderson knocked him down with that big up kick, and Frankie Edgar still has the wherewithal to to keep pushing in those fights so you keep thinking like this guy's invincible this guy can't be knocked out eventually he started getting knocked out on multiple occasions so that that's that's why i'm bringing this up like at, at some point um 
it, the durability is not going to be there like it once was. So I'm not saying this is going to be the time, but I am saying Danny Roberts can crack. Danny Roberts is a real welterweight. Danny Roberts is not a lightweight who doesn't want to cut weight anymore. This is a six foot one guy with a set, I think a 75 inch reach, and he, he's a real full size welterweight. He's going to try his best while he's conscious. So as long as he doesn't get knocked out, I think this has the chance to be a very close kind of fight. And if that's the case, give me the dog odds on Robert. I haven't made a play on it yet, but if the line continues to improve, um, I'll take my chances on maybe a one unit shot on Roberts, uh, and let's see what happens. Yeah, I don't hate it, man. I think you might get the opportunity. I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the market keeps uh, moving towards Ronaldo here. So we got a few more fights to talk about, and we can, you know, be a little bit less uh, long-winded on these. Um, yep. Macy Shazan, seven and two, taking on Norma Dumont, who's seven and one. Um, Dumont minus two twenty-five, Shazan plus one eighty-five. I've always questioned Shazan. I mean, I think that the reason she's had success is actually she's like five foot eleven. I think she's. I hate making excuses like saying, "Oh, weight bullies," because my whole opinion has been if you can make the weight then you belong in the way. So this whole weight bully talk has never been something that I've liked to talk about, but like, I'm just bringing it up that like, I think she's gotten away with some of these wins just because of her size. But I don't, I, I question the mental, I question the heart. Um, like you remember the Lena Landsberg fight, safe. Sayud was screaming at her between rounds and she still didn't make those adjustments. Last fight against Rocky. Look, Rocky's a seasoned vet, but it's, it's still, it still came out again. And with Norma Dumont, what I like about her is, you know, she she got the fundamentals down. Fights behind her jab, throws leg kicks, mixes and takedowns from time to time. I just think she's got a more well put together game, and I'm gonna pick Dorma, uh, Dumont to come out here and win this decision. Yeah, I, re I really don't have a ton to add here. You know, I, on one hand, you know, you could probably make an argument that the line's wide. You know, Macy Chasson is going to be the bigger fighter here, four or five inches of reach. Um, but it's just like the way that she fights. Like it's not like um, it's going to play that big of a factor. Like both of these women are going to try to do the same thing. Cage push a bunch, like pretty low volume on both sides. I just don't put a ton of faith on either side. Like I don't put faith in Norma Dumont to cover a minus 220 or whatever. And I put zero faith in, in Macy Chasson to come in with the right game plan or even implement any sort of game plan to your point. Um, so it's just, it's a pass for me, man. I, I don't want any action on this fight. I, I'd say Dumont wins, but uh, minus 220, I'm not putting my money on it to find out. Now you know what's one you know who's one fighter that I will never miss their fights? Mr. Brandon Roy Vall. He's thirteen oh, yeah. and six, taking on Matt Schnell, who is fifteen and six. And currently they got it. Brandon Roy Vall. Now here's my issue. Minus two forty five the comeback. Uh Matt Schnell's plus two oh five. Leroy Vall is a guy I want to bet at dog money. Whether it was the time I bet him against Tim Elliott, um, the Kai Car France fight. I don't remember if I bet him there, but he was a dog there. Like those are the spots I like because you know, he's uh kind of like a green Cheeto Vera, you know, like he's gonna drop rounds from time to time, but like he will do some flashy, unorthodox things that you don't see from other guys. He will turn up on guys. I actually thought his Bontarine fight, I was surprised it was a split. I thought he clearly won the fight. And with Schnell, technically speaking, he's on point. It's just from with Schnell, sometimes there's been questions about the durability. Like I was in attendance when Hector Sandoval landed one-inch hammer fist and knocked him out cold in Nashville. It was kind of crazy. But Schnell, like if he's not getting knocked out, he's he's very skilled, man. The calf kicks, the jabs, the the little subtle head movement he's got going on. He's got a nice opportunistic guillotine too. So um I think Schnell could give him a good fight, but you know I got you know you know I got to pull for raw dog here. So let's go uh let's go raw dog but not crazy about the price. 
Yeah, I'm kind of with you, man. And I know you busted me a little bit for uh, chasing some props when it burned me. But, you know, the other side of that argument is I cashed Brandon Roy Val submission tickets on both of those fights. So you you get a little bit of better money uh, or better uh, bang for your buck than the money line in those fights. But uh, but yeah, I love Brandon Roy Val just like you. I think the pace is going to be a big factor here. He's going to move forward. You know, I totally agree. Matt Schnell, technically speaking, he's got a much better jab, very technical, technically sound. The problem is Roy Val's not going to just stand and, and make this a normal technical kickboxing match. Like his pace is he's going to pressure Schnell up against the cage. He's going to use his kicks, which I think are going to play a factor here. And I actually think he's going to land takedowns in this matchup. And on the flip side, Matt Schnell is a guy who historically speaking, yes, he has a bunch of submissions, but he's not really a takedown guy. He's only landed two takedowns across nine UFC fights. Like he's not going to come in here and be able to wrestle Brandon Roy Val. And I favor Roy Val when it does get to the mat, you know, he's super opportunistic with a bunch of different tools and submissions on the mat. So I like Roy Val here with you. I don't love the price, but I do think he wins. And, and I, I talked about props earlier, but like you can't even target a prop for Roy Val. Cause they were at like some, his submission prop is like plus one sixty or something. Like uh, that's just way too short for me. Like I'm, I'm not playing. What's I have his no KO prop? His KO prop, I think uh, was a little bit enticing. I want to say it was like plus it was some somewhere in the threes, but, uh, I have, uh, best fight odds pulled up so let me find out i want to say it was like plus three something yeah or, because oh, uh, plus 400 and it looks like FanDuel has the best number at plus 460 i might have to take a little poke at that see that's different because uh roy Vall is a minus 250 favorite if roy Vall was the dog then you just take the dog odds but here yeah. minus 250 Here's where, you know, I would entertain a prop, but I'm passing all together. My pick is Roy Vall. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Blagoj Ivanov representing Bulgaria, taking on Marcos Rogério de Lima Pezao, who is 19-7, and seven, representing Brazil. And currently they got it. Blagoj Ivanov, a minus 150, the comeback on Marcos Rogério de Lima Pezao is plus 130. A lot of people thought the line was short. What is your take, my friend? I like the Blagoy Ivanov side. Like he's coming off a long layoff here. Who knows what he's going to look like? But historically speaking, this guy is one of the toughest dudes to get out of there. Like he's never been finished. I doubt Delima is going to be the guy to put him out. Like unless the durability just randomly fell off a cliff in the last two years since we haven't seen him. But uh, Delima, we know what he's going to bring to the table. He's super powerful early in the fight, but outside of the first round, like he really doesn't have much to offer here because I don't expect him to have any success trying to wrestle Ivanov. I actually I. Ivanov could have a little bit of success uh, landing takedowns here. So the pick is for me is going to be Ivanov by decision, but I don't have a bet on either fighter in this matchup. Yeah, usually I look to fade uh, Hojero de Lima because it used to be a case where you just one takedown and the fight is over shortly after. Like I remember when I cashed in on Godzi Himarod anti Gulov, and it was actually de Lima that took him down. Guillotine that wasn't even locked in, he tapped out. The Nikita Krylov fight. Choke wasn't even locked in, tapped out. Now, props to him because in that last fight against Romanov, uh, he went to sleep. So maybe that's a step in the right direction in terms of him believing in, in himself. Or maybe that fucking forearm choke was so goddamn tight that he didn't even get a chance to tap out. But bottom line, like, I just know I just don't know what to expect from Ivanov. Like, all things considered, Ivanov's the much better fighter here. He's been in there. I mean, they've both been in there with good competition. But Ivanov's not a stunt puller. If Ivanov's going to lose a fight, it's because he didn't throw enough. Whereas... I've seen Hojero de Lima go out there, win a 10-8 round against Stefan Struve, and then quit in the second round. Like So 
that that's that that's that shit I don't like to quote uh can someone let me know what rapper said that but um, uh yeah look here I mean you got a favorite Blagoy it's just I'm gonna be really pissed off like well I'm not because I'm not betting this fight but I, if I were to bet Blagoy I'd be really pissed off when this is a low volume fight you're screaming Blagoy please throw Blagoy please take him down and they're just kind of staring at each other and it's a split decision and you lose but when you talk about low volume and you know let's let's bring up some stats here because you know I, i'm worried about uh blagoy being low volume listen to this shit uh john kelly in uh in marcos ojero de lima's three round fight against maurice green he landed a grand total of 14 significant strikes yeah yeah, he just laid on him for like 15 minutes. Can we have a moment of silence? 14 significant strikes in a 15-minute fight. In his unanimous decision win against Adam Vishirek, he landed a grand total of 28 significant strikes. So if I'm worried about the low volume of Blagoy, what about this low volume of uh, Marcos Ogero de Lima pays out? But at the same time, um, from I, I saw Blagoy drop Taitu Ivasa, and I've seen... Uh, De Lima go out there, blitz some guys, knock out Ben Rothel, first guy to do it since Cain Velasquez in 2009. Hashtag free Cain Velasquez. Like, either guy could get knocked out. They're still heavyweights, but most likely the way I'm viewing it is that low volume type fight. But it could play out much differently than that. I don't really know. That's all I got for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got too. I say Blagoy by decision, but no bet for me either way. Now, next up uh, in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Andre Fialho representing uh, representing Portugal, right? Uh, something like that. Let me just make sure I'm not fucking that up. Um, is it Brazil? Yeah, Portugal, Portugal, Portugal. Okay, cool. Just had to make sure. Uh, taking on Cameron Van Camp, who is 15 and five, so they got pretty vir- virtually identical records. To quote uh, Goldberg. And uh, currently they got it. Do you get a bunch of like random fucking calls from like no caller ID, scam this, scam likely? Like, It's not as bad as it used to be. But yeah, it got to the point where I, I don't have a voicemail set up on my cell phone just so people don't call me. I hate it when people call me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make sure to call him right after this show. No, but uh, currently they got it. Andre Fialio, minus 400, the comeback on Cameron Van Zandt. Just Van Camp, excuse me, not Van Zandt. Uh, it's plus 340. Just depends where you look. Look, I'm familiar with Van Camp from the regional scene because he fought here in the South at a league called B2. Let's just say, not no disrespect, but I'm not. I, Hold on, someone said don't disrespect Portugal. I, I I wasn't. I was trying to confirm that it was Portugal because I do respect Portugal. But anyways, this dude, uh, Van Camp, I, I don't think he belongs at the UFC level, my man. You know, he was turning down fights with some of my guys. I mean, could you imagine what Jared Gooden would do to him? Could you imagine what Robert Hale would do to him? I don't blame him. But he got this opportunity, and the reason why is this. If you recall Andre Fialio's last fight against Miguel Baeza, he got on the mic and he said, Dana White, I want to, I want to have a private meeting with you. Why did he want to have a private meeting with him? Because Andre Fialio is very firm on his stance that when this guy is active, when this guy is consistently in the gym, that's when you're going to get the best version of him. You know, when when he's taking a bunch of layoffs in between fights, he feels like that's when he has his worst performances, but he feels like when he's in shape, he can knock out any man on the planet at welterweight. And he told Dana, I want to fight six times this year. So 
Dana was like, all right, well, uh, here you go. Here's a fight in two weeks, uh, and here's a hand-picked opponent who we owe a fight to anyway, so go ahead and knock this guy out real quick. So I think Fialio is going to come out here, pick his shots, put this guy away, barring some kind of epic stunt. So give me Fialio to come out here and cover that price tag. Yeah, and, and honestly, I'm right there with you. Like, I know it's a big price tag here, but on the Van Camp side, like, he's basically like one of those typical low level regional type submission first, like, grapplers. And in terms of the striking, like, because I do have concerns with Fialo defensively grappling, I just don't think that Van Camp is going to be able to successfully grapple against him because, in terms of the striking, his defense is just not there. Like, he's eating clean shots against guys much less skilled than Fialo here and Fialo 12 of his 15 wins have come by knockout we know he has punching power he just knocked out Miguel Baeza three weeks ago so I think he lands clean on Van Camp and I think he gets him out of there Fialo by knockout now next up in the flyweight division we got a matchup between Tracy Cortez she's nine and one taking on Melissa Gatto who is eight and oh currently they got it Tracy Cortez minus 150 the comeback on Melissa Gatto is plus 130 I love this fight for so many reasons I mean you obviously got the wrestling background of uh, Tracy Cortez. You know what she brings to the table. You know she's got very good top control. You know she's opportunistic with those takedown attempts. She's also tough as hell, man, because her stand-up ain't the best, and she eats a lot of clean shots, but she doesn't get deterred. She doesn't back up. She doesn't you know, fall into a, a fetal position. She, she keeps trying to fight, so I like her heart, and she's going to be buoyed by this crowd here in Arizona, but let me say something about Melissa Gato. She's one of these fighters that all my dfs brothers hate this style of fighting but i love like the, like the cheeto vera type style where like you question certain things about the minute winning but you don't question the opportunistic finishing ability and one thing about gato is she going to give up takedowns here uh, yes <laughs> yes she will however i know she's going to survive this first round once that second round starts, she's got much cleaner hands than uh, Tracy Cortez, much better kick, much better kicks. And then also when Cortez is a little tired, that's when I think there's a chance for some submission attempts. I mean, I saw her go out there and uh, sweep a Lloyd Irvin black belt her very last fight. And it was a beautiful sweep she hit on Sajara Eubanks. And um, I like Gato. She's very opportunistic. It's just the thing you got to accept is that if you're betting her, you're 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 most likely dropping this first round. Like we're gonna lose this first round. It's just a question of can she pull that Chito Vera type, you know, fight where she starts coming back, she starts imposing her will because she's a very tough girl. She's gonna be there for all 15 minutes. It's just how much top control is she going to give up? You know, that, that's, that's, the, that's the big thing here. Too much top control given up. The judges are, are going to give it to Cortez. But one sweep could change this fight. One big kick, one big punch. And those are the intangibles that Melissa Gatto brings to the table. So I don't know if she's going to win or lose this fight, but I do like her, her, her going forward, man. I mean, she, she went out there and she finished Carl Hosa. She went out there and she finished uh, Sajar Eubanks. Like, I get Sajar Eubanks might alternate wins and losses, but who else is out here finishing her, you know, and, and sweeping a, a black belt like that? So I do like the potential in Gato. It's just this fight is one of those that I truly believe is going to come down to the wire. And oftentimes... In fights like that, I like to take the dog. My only issue is I feel like I missed out on the line. 
I feel like I missed out on the plus 170. I feel like I missed out on the plus 160, the plus 180. Plus 130, I mean, I guess if you're picking someone outright, there's still value. But when I, when I miss a line by like 50 cents, um, that, that that's my issue here. So, I mean, how much top control do you see Tracy Cortez getting, John Kelly? And do you think that Melissa Gatto is going to have those big moments to sway the judges in her favor or potentially get a finish? I do, yeah. And I, and to answer your question, I think both of them are are probably going to happen here. I expect Cortez to have success with the wrestling early in this fight. In terms of the striking, I do favor Melissa Gatto here. You know, we've seen Cortez against lesser level strikers have some success with her boxing, but we've seen her eat a lot of clock, a lot of clean shots. She doesn't have much defense in terms of her striking and against somebody that's going to be a lot more physical than her and a lot more dangerous than the striking in Melissa Gatto. I think Gatto could piece her up on the feet and then we're going to see Cortez start to desperately wrestle. And yes, Gatto has been taken down on the regional scene and in that Sajara Eubanks fight. She is a fighter that likes to play off her back fish for submissions, look for sweeps, et cetera. But I actually think the submission is pretty live here. Like I don't mind. And, and I haven't bet Gatto yet. I'm waiting on FanDuel because FanDuel seems to always be off market. So I've seen plus 550 Melissa Gatto by submission. I do have interest in that prop. I'm hoping FanDuel maybe gives us plus 600 or something crazy. But I just think Cortez is definitely susceptible to like an arm bar or something um, with Gatto on her back. And Gatto does have a couple arm bars, a couple submissions off her back on her record. But I just think she's going to be the more physical fighter in there, more finishing upside. And this is a spot where I just think it's time to get off the Tracy Cortez uh, train. I've, I've backed Cortez by decision in two of her three UFC fights. And now I'm just, I want to go against her in this matchup because I think Gatto is the better striker. And I think she has more finishing ability on the mat. So it's like Cortez has to bank those control time and, and do it for 15 minutes and stay safe for 15 minutes. So I know it's a home game for her in Phoenix, Arizona, but uh, I, I actually have more interest in the underdog than Gatto. You know, I like this guy. You know, you know, you might be talking me onto something because like, dude, like I've been interested in Gato. It's just I, I'm I'm just so worried about, you know, we're getting off on some big shots on the feet and then we get held down and we're not able to create that scramble. We're not able to get that sweep. And, and on a side note, how'd you score the quiche fight? Because we all agree, um uh Cortez won round one, no questions asked. Who won rounds two and three? So I I am the wrong person to ask because, like I said, I, I did have a Cortez by decision prop on that fight. So I did score it for Cortez, but I was probably a little bit biased. So I don't I don't know if I'm the right person to ask there. Yeah, you are, because at the end of the fight, did you feel without a shadow of a doubt that you won or did you think it was up in the air? I think it was up in the air. OK, because I watched it this morning and like first round, 100 percent Cortez. Yeah. But the next two, I'm like, shit, I don't know. Like, I don't want to I don't want to say Cortez lost it, but I do want to, like, say Quiche definitely had some moments. And I think Gato is a lot better than Quiche, not to MMA yeah. math it up or anything, but I'm just saying that I see the openings there. And I do think Gato's got a, a lot of potential. I, I'm just worried about a Carl Hosa, Sarah McMahon situation. Difference being, excuse me, difference being is i don't have to lay minus 200 here on gato to find out yep. she is the dog so at least we got that going in our favor so i mean you know who i'm rooting for you know I, you know i love my fighters like gato so hopefully she gets it done here now next up 
in the flyweight division. We got a matchup between Clayton Rodriguez. He's seven and one, taking on CJ Vergara, who is nine and three. Currently, they got it. Clayton Rodriguez minus three fifty. The comeback on CJ Vergara is plus three hundred. Now, let me just tell you this, man. I am so pissed off, John Kelly, because I had the chance to go out there and bet Clayton Rodriguez at like minus two something against Zaruk Adeshev. And you know, like when you go to the bait. <laughs> You know when you go to the baseball game and you bring your glove with you because you want to catch that that fly ball, you want to catch a foul, you want to catch a home run? I wanted to bring my baseball glove with me to the arena because I wanted to catch Zaruk Adeshev's head after Clayton Rodriguez <laughs> spinning kick knocked him out. And even though I got a favorite Clayton here, CJ Vergara is a much tougher opponent than Zaruk Adeshev. No disrespect, that's just the facts. The thing about this kid, CJ... He impressed me on contenders because the duty beat Bruno. Like I get, I get, I get that. Okay, it was a thirty-second finish or whatever. Like how much stock do you put into it? I saw that same dude Bruno Korea have like an honest fight with Mateus Nicolau, man. And then the fight with Ode Osborne. I bet Ode Osborne and CJ made me sweat it, man. So respect. He's a he's a Latino warrior that's gonna try his best to win this fight. I just like this kid, Clayton. You know, he's the phenom fighting out of Team Noguera. He's their top hope for a future world champion. The kicks, the athleticism, the get-up game, the takedown defense. I like everything about him. It's just at a price like this, UFC debut, fans are in attendance. Sometimes the UFC debuts don't always go according to plan. Sometimes... You know, they underperform. And, and you, you remember a fight between Tyler Santos and Morella Barella. Uh, like, dude, I fucking bet Tyler Santos at minus 150. Like, <laughs> you, you know that I would make that bet 10 times again? I mean, she's looked like a fucking killer since then, though. Minus 150 against Mara Romero Barella on Tyler Santos, and I lost. Yeah. You, do you understand what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, I got the better fighter here, but now we're not dealing with minus 150. We're dealing with minus 400. I'm going to sit back and relax. My pick is Clayton. I think he's got the much higher ceiling. I think he's the much, um, he's got the much more potential, and he's. I, I really like what he brings to the table. But CJ, he's got that spirit about him. He's going to try. He's a dog. He's going to go forward. He's going to test this kid. So it's going to be a good fight, but give me Clayton to get it done. No bet. Yeah, I like that pick, and I like Clayson Rodriguez as well. For those that don't know, quick plug if you don't mind, I do a lot of work on Dana White Contender Series on my YouTube channel. Um, I do a video for every episode on Dana White Contender Series, so I dive into these prospects quite a bit. So I feel like I have a pretty strong read, at least a better read than most people because I literally watch like every single one of these prospects' fights. And Clayson Rodriguez here is a guy that I favor dramatically over CJ Vergara. I do expect him to be a better striker, more powerful, super top heavy. The kicks that you mentioned, like the guy is just super powerful. He's going to put Vergara on the back foot. I do think he's going to land. I, I I could see him winning the first two rounds and then maybe just cruising in the third if he doesn't get him out of there. And on the flip side, like Vergara is a guy that I didn't rate highly. I didn't expect him to win his contender series fight. And I didn't expect Vergara to look as good and not that he looks stellar in his UFC debut, but to your point, like he won the third round. Ode Osborne was fading off into the third for Guerra. That's the one thing about him. And that's what he has going for him in this matchup is the cardio is going to be there. He's willing to fight a hard 15 minutes. Like he does have good cardio, 
But at the same time, like this is a guy that went life or death with Jacob Silva was flash knocked out in that fight, dropped multiple times in that fight as well. So against a guy that's super powerful, like Clayton Rodriguez, like I got to go with the favorite here. It's just that, like you said, like such a massive price tag to pay. Um, maybe put him in a parlay. If you're building a big parlay, I don't mind that because I do think he gets his hand raised. It's just that I'm not going to individually bet on Rodriguez at that price. Well said, my man. And I just wanted to mention uh, my dog, Leo, walked in during the Gatto breakdown. So maybe that's a sign. Um, there it is. And, and the belt stayed standing. The belt didn't fall. You so see? we might have to get on Gatto here. You see that, guys? You see that? We're, we're making progress here. So two more fights to go. And I do appreciate your time, John Kelly. Y'all make sure you follow my boy at John Kelly DFS. And everybody smash that like button. Time flies when you're having fun, right? So... Second to last, penultimate fight of the evening, even though it's the second fight, but penultimate breakdown. We got Lupita Lupi Godinia, 7 and 2, representing Mexico, taking on Ariane Chorizo Carnalosi, who is 14 and 2, repping Brazil. Currently, they got it Lupi minus 185. The comeback on Ariane Carnalosi is plus 160. Interesting, interesting fight. Curious to hear your take. What you got for me? Yeah, I think I think the wrestling is super clear here on the Godinez side. Like Carnalosi doesn't defend takedowns very well. Uh, Nali Ang was able to take her down three times in that fight. And yes, I know Carnalosi ended up submitting her, but I think Godinez is just a lot more clean in terms of the wrestling and the grappling. And Liang has pretty much no cardio outside of the first round. Historically, she, almost all of her wins are in the first round. She fades outside of the first round. She's kind of like the female version of Derek Minner. And I just don't expect loopy Godinez to look like that in this fight. So where she is low volume and I do respect the power of Carnalosi. I, I just think the takedowns are going to be there for Godinez. So I think she probably gets her hand raised and wins a 29, 28 decision. So I don't debate that the takedowns will be there for Godinez. We've seen Carnalosi taken down and we've seen loopy land multiple takedowns. So that part, no debate. Here's where I got my questions. What about the top control? Is Lupi going to hold her down? Is Carnalosi going to get back up? Because one thing about Carnalosi, she's got that Jessica Andrade style where, yeah, she might eat a lot of punches, but when it's her turn to give her punches back, these young ladies feel it, man. I mean, one thing I've always talked about in these uh, women's divisions, at least now in the infancy stages, is that power can override technique a lot, as 100%. you've seen how, how far Jessica Andrade has gone. And I'm not convinced that Godinez is going to like some of these shots that are coming back at her. So to me, it, it's really about... How much top control are we talking about on the Lupita Godinez side? Because on the feet, I don't think she's got the volume, my man. And on the feet, that's where Carnalosi can come out here and blitz her with, with these big combinations, possibly hurt her, possibly discourage her. And if, you know, down the stretch, the takedowns do start to get stuffed, that's where I see Carnalosi taking over. So what kind of top control are you expecting here? I mean, I, I, I'm not expecting it to be, like, super great. Like, I don't rate Godinez, like, as this stellar prospect or anything like that. It's just that, you know, it's funny you mentioned Carnalosi being, like, an, an Andrade-style fighter. In my breakdown, I literally said she's a Priscilla Cachuera-style fighter. So it goes right along in that same type. It's, it's just a lower-level version. It's like they'll eat two shots to give you one powerful shot. So if the fight does play out striking – that, yeah, I mean, the power of Carnalosi is super clear. Um, I think Godina is a little bit more clean in terms of the technicality, like especially going back to the debut of Carnalosi. You, you saw Angela Hill have a ton of success. 
you know, pretty much boxing her face off and she wasn't able to land a lot of those power shots. So um, I think Godinez could have some success with the boxing, but the the volume, like you said, is super concerning. And that's why I didn't, I didn't back Godinez at this price, like minus 190 or whatever she's at. I do think there's probably an argument that there's value on Carnelosi. It's just a spot that I'm, I'm not looking to get involved just because I do expect her to land multiple takedowns. But to answer your question, I'm, I'm not convinced that she's going to be able to like blanket her on the mat. So it's just, it's not a fight that I'm going to bet. Well, in that case, I'm going to go opposite way. I'm going to take Carnelosi to kind of pull away down the stretch, give up some takedowns, get back up and then show off the difference in power and volume, but not confident either. Cause yeah. if she gets blanketed against someone who has shown that she can go out there, attempt and land multiple takedowns, that's a concern. So yeah, let's see what happens. So last but not least, kicking off the card, we got Journey Newsom in the Bantamweight division. He's 9-3, taking on Fernando Fernie Garcia, who is 10-1. And, and currently, they got it. Fernie Garcia, minus 150. Comeback on Journey Newsom is plus 125. Everybody do us a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Comment, share, retweet, all that stuff. Appreciate it. So as far as this matchup is concerned, Listen, I haven't been high on Journey Newsom at all. I mean, he can definitely crack. I'll give him that. I mean, and he's been in there with some good guys. Um, I know he can give it. I just don't know if he can take it too. And one thing about this kid, Fernie Garcia, you know, he's a Mexican warrior. One thing about these Mexican warriors, man, they got they got some serious-ass chins, and I know this dude can take it. Um, also comes out of a good camp in, in uh, Fortis MMA. It's just... I'm not in any kind of rush to lay this slight shock price on someone that's unproven but i'm also not trying to fade him either because i'm i think that journey newson is one or two fights away from going back to the regional scene no disrespect that's just how i view it so i see them coming out here and having a brawl i just see garcia being able to eat the harder shots whereas i think that newson is a liability to get dropped so give me fernie garcia um not the most confident pick and do not like the price either yeah, so uh, it's kind of funny. You said you're not looking to uh, fade Fernie Garcia. So I am looking to fade Fernie Garcia. I'm just not sure if I'm looking to fade him with Journey Newsom, which I, oh, think, yeah. I, mean, I think I meant is what in this you're fight. getting at as well. I, I, meant, I meant in this fight. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. But I, I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I, I do think there's probably a good case that Newsom should be a small favorite here. And I am still kind of battling on whether or not I'm going to bet Journey Newsom. Um, and, and I might come Saturday. We'll see. I'm, I got to think about things a little bit more. But my priors on Fernie Garcia were, were relatively low. You know, he's another Dana White Contender Series guy that I taped quite a bit. You know, I bet uh, Joshua Weems actually on contenders against him at like plus 300 or something like that. And the game plan was actually good of Weems. He looked good early and then he just randomly died. But Fernie Garcia, historically, over the course of his career, he's a guy that's super heavy on his lead leg. He's susceptible to those leg kicks. Never, he's never checked a single leg kick like his entire career. Like we've seen him almost finish by leg kicks in multiple fights on the regional scene. And then in terms of the striking, like pretty low volume, and he he kind of just has to. He's very methodical. Like he'll when he does throw a couple combinations, he has to reset every time. He has to reset his footwork. Anybody with any sense of counter striking and power is going to take advantage of that because he doesn't 
really defend punches well either. So if he's constantly resetting like that with his hands down, taking a deep breath, getting back to center, somebody with decent counter striking is really going to take advantage of that. I don't know if Newsom's the guy, but I do think Newsom could land leg kicks here. I think he could have success there. I think Garcia maybe leans on his wrestling. He does have like a high school wrestling background, but Newsom's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So it's like, I wouldn't be shocked at a submission either. Um, The only thing I'll add is like, people are saying like Fernie doesn't have power. Like I actually do think he has power, not because of the Weems fight, but there was multiple fights on the regional scene where, you know, if you just look up and down his record, Oh, he's, he's been to decision like six times in a row. He must not have power. If you watch those fights, he has his opponents hurt multiple times in almost every single one of those fights for whatever reason, whether it's just variants or unlucky or him just not being able to put the final, stamp and get the finish um it doesn't mean he doesn't have power because he is clipping those dudes and when he lands clean he is hurting those people so i i don't think he's a guy that doesn't have power so i i would wouldn't be shocked if he can get Newson out of there he's a guy who we've seen hurt multiple times but at the same time like skill for skill i do think Newson is probably the rightful favorite here we've seen dana white contender series fighters that don't necessarily have a ton of skills be priced as a favorite as their debut it's almost like an ATM fading those guys. So I'm just kind of wrestling back and forth because it's like, I do want to fade Fernie. Everything lines up except for the opponent. Right. In <laughs> so I don't know. I, I got to think through it. And maybe we'll talk more offline to uh, to see if we want to bet here on Newsom. Sounds good. Well, John Kelly, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night in Arizona. You got Charles Dubronx Oliveira putting his belt up against the line against Justin Gaethje, Rose Namajunas, Carla Esparza, Chandler Ferguson, OSP Shogun, Cerrone Lozon, Randy Brown, Chaos. I mean, this fight card is badass. John Kelly, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. They can follow you at John Kelly DFS. John, uh, any message for the fans before we get out of here? No, man, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, appreciate you having me on and best of luck to everybody on Saturday. It should be an awesome card. And like I said, I don't think uh, really up and down the card. I don't think we're going to be disappointed come Saturday. I agree. So everybody, make sure you all follow him at John Kelly DFS. Uh, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Follow the podcast Instagram account at Half the Battle Pod. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, All the places where podcasts are found, we are available there. I'll be back next week working on an interview with Jailton Almeida. Just got to secure a really good interpreter um, because I don't want it to be like I ask a question and they don't quite – you know, understand what I'm saying. And this is, I, I want like a bad, like, do you guys hear my Dawoon Jung interview where like that interpreter was on his shit, bro? Like, I want an interpreter like that. So until I secure that, we're going to, we'll make it happen. And and I'm working on it. So we're going to get Jailton Almeida on here. And uh, then I'll be back for the next card as well. So, guys, thank you so much for all the support. I truly, truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.